Thanks, guys. It's wonderful to be with you. Uh, it's wonderful to be able to share. But before we do that, I'm told that there's a very interesting group of young people that are here with us. We've got the Year of Your Life 2019 group. I wonder if I can invite you guys to stand for us, please. Now, while you guys are standing, I'm very tempted to make you nervous, but I'm not going to do that. I'm going to ask the rest of the congregation if you guys will stretch your hands forward and join me in a prayer. Father, I want to thank you for this group of young people. I, I remember when I did Year of Your Life and how faithful you were and the growth that you allowed me to go through. Father, I pray that you meet each and every student where they are, that they too would experience growth, not just within themselves, but more importantly, within their relationship with you. Father, that this year would be a landmark year in their lives, that you would cement truth in their hearts, and that you would win them over. That the song we sang earlier on, they would for this group, Lord, be no turning back. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, guys. All right. I'm going to ask you guys to close your eyes, but it's far too early in the sermon to sleep, so you've got to come back when I say you do. Okay? That's the deal. Guys need to acknowledge that because I can't see if you open your eyes at the back. I'm going to do a bit of a thinking exercise with you. So while your eyes are closed... Wonder if you would allow two or three words to come to mind that you've heard been used to describe Jesus. So two or three words that you've heard people use to describe Jesus. And in your mind, if you could park those words perhaps in one column, and in the other column, answer the following. Who do you say Jesus is? And perhaps there's one word, or two or three, or an entire list that comes up. Okay, you guys can open your eyes again. <laughs> cool. <laughs> is a story that was quite similar to this little thinking exercise that we did. And it appears in Matthew chapter 16, and it's not our text for tonight, but I'm going to read it for you guys just to highlight a couple of important things. Matthew 16 verses 13 to 20 says, When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And then Jesus responds and says, but what about you? Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answers, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Then Jesus replies to him very interestingly, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, 
but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. It's very interesting that even the disciples heard opinions of who Jesus was. When Jesus was alive on the earth, he was with his disciples, teaching them, letting them know more and more of who he is. Some of them immediately went to other people's opinions of who he was, but they were journeying with him daily. Jesus doesn't get upset, but he asks Peter a deeper question. Who do you say I am? How have you experienced me? Leah shared a word at the beginning of the service, and she said, we should, or there's a call to remember the things that the Lord has done for us. Why is that? That's because the Lord wants to reveal himself to us through a meaningful, personal relationship. You see, there's opinions that exist on who this person Jesus is. You can just switch on the news, and there's a couple of pastors that don't give Jesus a good name. Perhaps you've encountered people in church that haven't given Jesus a good name. But today I ask you, who do you, from his experience with you, who do you say he is? Interestingly enough, Jesus responding says, Simon, son of Jonah. See, in the Jewish culture, your identity was attached to who your father was. And that's the response. Jesus is responding to that part of Peter's identity. And he says, but let me tell you something. And then all of a sudden there's a name change. And it's more than just a name change. Jesus, once we get to know who he truly is, once we have this revelation of who he is, immediately our identity starts to change. Not only that, he gives us clues to what our purpose is. He tells Peter, you, I'm going to use you to build my church. And I wonder how Peter would have received that. I wonder what his thinking process would have been. You see, I, I like thinking sometimes. I overthink often. So when people say things like, Jesus is the Alpha and Omega, I get a bit stuck because in my day-to-day -day life, it's not a lot of people that use those words. Think about it. How many times have you been to the shop and said, can I have one alpha, please? You're not, you're not going to do that. It's, it's almost not relatable. Not that he isn't. Jesus is. He's the beginning and the end. But I need to not know that here. I need to experience it within my heart so it becomes the reality from where I live. And I wonder if in the thinking exercise, you have some ideas of who this person of Jesus is that actually need to be destroyed so that he can come and journey with you and show you who he really is. And I'm trusting that that's what we would be able to arrive at tonight. You see, the descriptors we have often place us at the center of our relationship with God. Perhaps we were sick and we've experienced healing. And then we want to only relate to Jesus as our healer. Perhaps he's provided for us in a time when we were in need. 
But then we start saying he's our provider and he is those things. But if we always refer to Jesus from how we're experiencing him, when do we give him space to tell us who he really is? Is a danger when we approach Jesus like that and we believe that we know him without giving him space to reveal himself to us. You see, it's dangerous to define Jesus <laughs> because his identity is secure. He doesn't need that. We need him to help us define who we are. But in order for that to happen, we must be willing to abandon those descriptors that came to mind, any descriptor that doesn't fit who he says he is. I'd like you guys to please turn to John chapter 15, and let's explore who Jesus says he is. In John chapter 15, and we're going to read from verse 1, and we're going to spend quite a bit of time trying to unpack what Jesus is saying here to us starts off this portion of scripture and Jesus says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. The first few, the first two words in the scripture are really important. Jesus starts, what's this, well, he actually ends what's a series of pronouncements throughout the book of John. He is telling his disciples, using the phrase, I am. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the light. He comes here and he says, I am the true vine. There's a space where Jesus is actually revealing who he really is to those that are willing to hear over 60 times in this one chapter of scripture, Jesus refers to himself or the Father. Over 60 times, Jesus is giving us insight to who he really is. Do you guys want to journey into the scripture and find out what he has for us here? Yes, yes, cool, excellent. <laughs> now, there's a bit of a problem. Verse two, there's this word pruning. Now, I only know two meanings for this word. The one is those fruits, things that you eat, and then it sounds like your stomach is speaking in tongues when you eat to know what I'm talking about. Like, no one ever comes and says, hey, let's grab a movie and a bowl of prunes. No, no one does it. So, <laughs> I'm quite certain this is not what Jesus is talking about. But then there's the pruning that goes on in a garden. Now, if you're like me, you avoid gardening for several reasons. Number one, the African sun is not friends with your complexion. So you're not going to stand in the sun and try... <laughs> Thank you. You're not going to stand in the sun and try and look after plants. Number two, if you don't know much about plants, please don't say you're going to prune the plants and then <laughs> destroy them actually. So both references in my mind that I have to this word pruning carry somewhat of a negative connotation. Does anyone else feel like that? Pruning. Ugh. I'm not sure if I want the Lord to prune me, but I want to understand what he means by this. 
as I read this, I see that the Lord is quite clearly saying that it's His process. Pruning is actually not up to us. We can't prune our own lives. We can't shape ourselves into who He's calling us to be. That's His process that we submit to. And I think sometimes we work really hard at the idea of cultivating our own fruit in our lives. Because here's the scripture saying, actually, he wants us to be more fruitful. He wants us to bear fruit. And I think sometimes we get stuck there and we're like, oh, okay, the Lord wants me to bear fruit. I'm going to go and do that. Last week I was a bit impatient. So this week I'm going to work really, really hard on being patient. Now that's good, you need to be intentional about your journey. But if it's up to you, if you were able to produce patience in your own life, why then do you need Jesus? It's a question we have to ask ourselves, or we have to be humble enough to understand there's nothing that we can do to produce our own fruit. That we're fully dependent on God. I remember that there was a time where I was sent to anger management which was a shock to me, but apparently it made sense to a lot of other people. So I go to anger management and I had this approach. Okay, I'm going to work really, really hard and not be an angry person anymore. Sounds like a good idea. It sounds and makes sense. And then I get there and the guy that was taking me through counseling starts reading scripture and then he starts crying. Except this happened every single time I would go there. So I would get really stuck and be like, am I that messed up that this guy just cries when I come here? Like, I've been working really, really hard. And within like two weeks, he gave me a bit of homework and I was like, finally, we're working at something I can adjust. And he says to me, I need to start gardening and looking after flowers. I was convinced this guy has lost it. He cries when we're together. He sends me to do gardening. We haven't even spoken about anger. So then I go and I try to do gardening and I'm quite angry while I'm gardening because I feel like we're actually not getting anywhere. As I'm busy, it was working with flowers, as I'm busy with the soil, trying to make sure the roots are going in the right places and hopefully this thing will grow because he's going to ask me about it. The Lord spoke, and he spoke so clearly. He said, the reason you're doing this gardening is because you need to learn something. You can try and get rid of anger, or you can learn what it takes to be patient, to be gentle, to be loving. And it struck me. The Lord's not interested in just getting rid of my anger, no. He wants to transform the inner part of me that takes me to those angry spaces. And he's willing to do the work with me in order to take me to that place. Sometimes we take our bad fruit to the cross. How many of you have ever heard this? Take your anger, take your disappointment, take your rejection, and leave it all at the foot of the cross. And that's good, that's great. But if at the cross we don't commit to what Jesus is asking us in terms of a transformation process, we're treating the cross as a rubbish dump. We're taking our bad fruit and just leaving it there and asking Jesus to sort it out. 
And that's not the way he wants us to live. You see, it's not about truth. <laughs> our focus shouldn't be there. But our focus has to be what are we rooted in? Because if we're rooted in Christ, in, in what's right, in the true vine, fruit that flows out is automatically good. It automatically represents what we're connected to. There's a danger to assuming sometimes that even when we're displaying good fruit, that, oh well, I'm patient, I love people, I go to church, I don't get angry when I'm driving. It's, you know, there's decent fruit in my life. I don't need to worry about this. Think, actually, well, not worry about it, but pay attention to it. I think we really, really need to pay attention to it. Not the fruit, but where we're rooted in. The reason for that is there's a scripture that's very clear, Matthew 7, 21 to 23. Jesus talking about the difference between true and false disciples gives us the following words. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me, On that day, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? and drive out demons in your name, and in your name perform miracles. Jesus' words, I'll tell you plainly, I didn't know you. You see, what I think is going on here is people are bringing fruit. Lord, look at the work I'm doing. Surely this work will impress you. What does Jesus say? No, I'm not interested in that. All I was interested in was knowing you. And if we commit to just bringing good works to the Lord and not where we're rooted in, we're in danger of hearing these words. Why? We're cutting ourselves off from what Jesus wants, which is relationship with us, meaningful relationship that can transform us. So I'll ask you guys, what are you rooted in? Are you interested in fruit? Would you want to be connected to the true vine? Don't think that these prophets were rooted in Jesus. Sometimes we take our good fruits like these false prophets. I mean, honestly, if I was busy driving out demons, performing miracles, I'd try to make money off it, probably. But uh, <laughs> at the same time, like... Don't you think that seems to be good fruit? You know, you're driving out demons, performing miracles. It's kind of good indicators. Actually, sometimes we stand in the danger of taking these things that in our minds are good and think about it. It's like we put together a box. You know, for when you go to food lovers markets and then they just put all your stuff in this big box. I think sometimes we do that. Oh, Lord, look. I've got two hours free in my week. Actually, let me give that to you. Ah, oh, I have this resource. Actually, let me give this to you. Ah, oh, I've got a bit of extra finances this month. Let me put it in my box and offer it to the Lord. I don't think Jesus is a charity organization where we need to take good things and drop it off at him. It's not what he's asking. He's asking every single aspect of who you are. 
not the good things that you think you have to offer. Going back to John 15, in verse 3, it says, You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Abide in me as I also abide in you. See, no branch can bear fruit by itself. It must abide in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you abide in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Verse 7 stands out quite a bit to me. Abide in me and my words abide in you. So because of the overthinking thing, I was like, oh, what does abide really mean? And I checked the definitions and I was just trying to get an understanding so that I don't just leave you with, well, go abide in the Lord. What does that mean, abiding in Him? The word abiding speaks of firstly, accepting something. And secondly, living according to what you've just accepted. That's what it means to abide. So here where Jesus is saying to us in verse 7, abide in me and let my words abide in you. It's an invitation to accept his truth. Which word of Jesus could ever be a lie? None of it. It's an invitation to accept that truth and then live accordingly. But it doesn't end there. In verse 10, Jesus says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commands and abide in His love. Invitations being extended, not just to live and understand God's truth, appear cognitively, but to let it transform our hearts and experience His love, that we would accept it and live from that place. I don't know about you, but man, the world is a big and scary place out there. There's so much going on. But what Jesus is saying is you don't have to live from that place. No, I'm the vine and you're going to abide in me. You're going to accept my truth and my love. From that place, you'll be able to live. From that place, you'll be able to produce fruit. Don't really know how biology and science works, but I've never seen a branch eat its own fruit. It's always for other people. It's always for the brokenness of the world. If you're sitting here and you think that you do not have what it takes to make a difference in the world, maybe you're not really believing that Jesus is the true vine. Or maybe there's areas in your life that you need to readjust this connection. How are we going to follow these commands? Jesus Asks for a lot, does he not? Sometimes. 
In verse 12, he makes it clear in this context what he's asking for. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. That's it. He doesn't give us a list of 10. He doesn't take it to the Old Testament where there's 613 different commands. He's taking it to one. Love one another just as you've seen me love you. Who's he talking to? Not a crowd on them. He's talking to his disciples. And we're on a disciples' quest. It's what we want to do. Be like him. And he's saying, well, just love one another. Abide in me. Accept my truth. Accept my love. And then love one another. There's a lot of ifs in this verse in these verses, and I'm sure that you guys have noticed it. And it tends to sound like a transactional relationship. If you do this, then Jesus is going to do that. Now that confuses me even further, because I have to sit and ask the Lord, now am I doing the right thing? Am I, if I go here, is it right? Or if I do that, am I stepping out of his will? How do I know what these commandments are? Pretty sure some of you, when we did that thinking exercise, would have related to Jesus as a friend. I did. How many of you, as well, the word came, a friend? We've all heard Jesus being referred to as a friend. Perhaps you experience him as a friend as well. In verses 13 to 16, Jesus says, Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for a friend. Verse 14, you... You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves because a slave doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends because everything that I've learned from my father I have made known to you. And I think sometimes we get so selfish in our relationship with the Lord. We get so stuck that we're happy calling him our friend. We're happy telling people about how he's laid down his life for us. But if you want to call Jesus a friend, he's saying there is this love, the greatest love, that actually lays down its life for friends. You want to be friends with Jesus? Are you willing to lay down your life for him? We talk of submission to his will. We talk of wanting to be disciples. And here he's saying... It's not a transactional relationship. I want to call you my friend. But this is me, this is Jesus, and this is my model of friendship, and it's sacrificial love. It's sacrificial love that wins hearts over. Will you love me back in the same way? It becomes difficult when we're not connected to the true vine. It becomes really difficult to even comprehend that type of love when we're not connected to the true vine. I'm so grateful that he calls me friend. You see, that's how we love him. We lay down our lives and we say, Lord, here, here, here is the brokenness, the ugliness, the imperfection. I lay it down. I lay it down because by myself I cannot fix any of those things. But if you're the true vine, if these words are to be true, if we choose to believe that Jesus is the true vine, then he has everything that we need. We sang it earlier on, that he has everything that we need. There's also a danger there. Sometimes we want to submit 
bit by bit or piece by piece. And we treat God as if he's an extension cord with a plug strip at the end. And we want to plug in our finances so his power can flow into that. And we want to plug in our studies so that his power can flow into that. We want to plug in our relationships so that his power can flow into that. It's not what he's asking for. It's not who Jesus is. He's the vine. Are you willing to accept you're a branch? And without being connected to that vine, you will wither away. And it's not a scary thing. It should be something encouraging. If ever you've dealt with fears and insecurity, you'll know sometimes you just want to cry out and hope that it can disappear. Hope that the pressure can be taken off your shoulders. Here, Jesus is offering it. He's offering it to us if we are willing to accept it. You see, we love him by laying down our lives because from that place, we're out the way. And when we're out the way, the Lord can come and do what he needs to do in our hearts, in our lives. But we're not robots. We don't fall asleep and then wake up better people. If ever you've seen me in the morning, hmm, it's like I need salvation all over again before coffee. That's not what it is. We're not going to wake up and be completely new and different people. And how do we do this? How do we stay plugged in? How, how do we live from Jesus being the true vine? Man, that's a tough life to live. And I asked God that question. How do we honestly do it? And he took me to the Lord's Prayer. I was like, okay, um, how does this fit? And then I started, you know, I should really just listen to the Lord first before questioning him again. But he's gracious, and he, he works with me and my questioning. As I'm reading the Lord's Prayer, something comes up. Give us this day our daily bread. Not our seasonal bread, not our 2019 bread or yearly bread, not our termly bread. Give us this day our daily bread. Leah spoke about trust. Trust at which level? For the simple daily things. See what Jesus is saying here, if we're going to believe that he's the vine, then there's a few things that we're rooted in that need to be completely destroyed, that need to be uprooted so that we can grow from the true vine. And it's not necessarily bad things. It's not habits or things that you do. It could be that. Sometimes it might be good things. Sometimes the Lord will ask you to stop doing good things, especially if you're doing it in your own efforts. Because then it's not glorifying Him. It's going to glorify yourself. And we're here to give God glory. When we lay down our lives for Him, when we're conscious of this, when we allow Him and invite Him to uproot us completely, pruning becomes a lot more easier. Pruning becomes something you can look forward to. Because you're no longer worried about the difficulty of the process. You trust the vine and you know he will let you produce fruit in the right time for the right people. And if he's the true vine, he has everything we need. He's an eternal source. Your life is secure. From that place, we can build a kingdom. From that place... The Lord can cultivate fruit in our lives that will nourish people's souls and bring them closer to the arms of the Father. 
one of my favorite musicians, Tupac. Last time I preached, I mentioned Kanye West. <clears throat> if I get into trouble, pray for me. Uh, but Tupac has this bit of a saying that I loved for a long while until I actually thought about what he was saying. He said something along the lines of a rose can grow from the concrete. It sounds wonderful. It sounds beautiful. It's not the life that Jesus is having for you. He's not asking you to grow yourself through your hardships and through your circumstances. So that's what a rose through a concrete does. It defies the odds. It says no to the circumstances. Uh, Jesus is saying don't live under that pressure. I'm the true vine. I'll give you what you need. You can trust God to uproot you completely. And he doesn't leave you there. He re-roots you in Christ. I was asked to answer the question through my sermon, how do we be ready for fruitfulness? You see, we can always be ready for fruitfulness if we're always plugged into the true vine, if he is our source for everything in our lives. Because then he determines when it's time to produce fruit. He'll determine when it's time to harvest. He'll determine when it's time for the branch to get skinny a bit. I'm a skinny branch. <laughs> Sometimes it's scary when we don't have fruit. Sometimes it's scary thinking that our entire lives are resting in somebody else's hands. It's not someone else. It's the vine. It's the God of the universe. It's Jesus, your Lord and Savior. Every single descriptor that you had, he is that and so much more. My encouragement to you is journey with this. Journey with it. What does it mean? Ask him every day, daily, Lord, my daily bread today. How do I experience you as the vine? Is today a day of growing fruit? Is today a day of giving away fruit? Is today a day letting you do some pruning in my life. Is today a day of just being a branch that's connected to you? Father, I pray for everyone in this auditorium. Father, I pray that your truth would be the place that we live from, that your love would be the place that we live from, that we would accept your truth and love that we would live accordingly. Father, that we would be brave enough to step away from our ideas of who you are, to step away from people's opinions of who you are. Trust you to walk a journey with us toward a meaningful relationship where we know who you are. And because we know who you are, we can safely allow you to define who we are and what our purpose is as well. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.